0: Hi friends. It's great to be with you. Uh, I am indeed, uh, as Gary mentioned, in my bare feet, uh, which many of you may be as well. So nothing like the opportunity to give a sermon in my bare feet. Um, Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, to my dad, to my father-in-law. And, you know, I was thinking uh, through the biblical stories, and especially in the Hebrew scriptures, not a a lot of great examples of dads, you know, our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not not a lot of stellar examples from them uh, around fatherhood. But I was drawn this week to a text where Jesus tells a story about a great dad, Uh, a story that begins, there was a man who had two sons, and you can find it in Luke 15 if you want to follow along. And before Jesus gets to this story, uh, in Luke 15, uh, the text says in verse 1 and 2, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, uh, tax collectors in that day were hated by most people. Uh, Sinners is a fairly ambiguous term uh, Generally meant to refer to those mainly that the religious leaders of the day Disapproved of for whatever reason Uh, And so the religious people are grumbling about the people Jesus hangs out with He hangs out with those who are on the outside The folks who are not accepted by the religious establishment And then Jesus Tells three stories, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a father who had two sons. And in verse 12, it says, the younger one said to his father, father, give me a share of the, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, in the culture of the time, it was unthinkable that a son would ask his father for a portion of the family wealth while the father was still alive. In essence, this son is saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And Jesus' listeners would have been thinking when they heard this that the father should punish his son, uh, kick him out of the house, disown him. As startling as the younger son's request is, the father's response is even more startling. We often think about this parable and think of how amazing and generous the father's grace is to receive his son back. What we often don't think about is how startling it is that the father gave his son what he asked for. The father gives his younger son his share of the estate or the property. And the son has no interest in working the land. He immediately liquidates it for cash, which would have been completely shameful and embarrassing for the father. Uh, And it would have been hurtful. And the text says that the father divided his property between them. Uh, the word that's used here for property is a word that means life because the life was in the land and the father divided his life between them. The younger son is asking his father to tear his life apart and the father does so out of what would some would say is reckless love. The father bears the agony, the pain, the embarrassment of giving up his life for the sake of his son. And his son liquidates everything, abandons his home, his family, uh, which further brings shame on his father. The scorn of the village would have likely been on the dad. And yet the broken-hearted father's love remains strong his son left home squandered all the money and when you think about home i, I love that gary so often talks says welcome home uh, what what does home the idea of home mean to you if we understand our truest home to be a community of people resting in god's love then we have found freedom yet We often live in a denial that we belong to God with every part of our being. It is when the offer of home in God stands before us and we walk away. As God's beloved, we are free to give life and love to others, grace to others, because we have been shown such a radical grace. And yet, I, we, so often run away from home, don't we? Dismissing the lavish love of God for cheap substitutes. Addiction largely explains the lostness and loneliness that permeates us. The addiction to our individualism, to our our way of thinking, Think about where you feel safe. When you feel stress or anxiety, where where do you go? Uh, Do you immerse yourself in a screen, or in work, or busyness, or, or some other distraction? Or do you go home? Home in the arms of a God who is always present to you. Henry Nowen asks this question. Why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Why do I keep leaving home where I am called the beloved of God? God is always inviting us back home. Every time we walk away, the door to our home in God remains open and welcoming and i think the younger son must have known this at some deep level because the text continues in verse 17 when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here i am starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him father I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. When he came to his senses, uh, this is a big part of what this story is about, the invitation to come to our senses, the invitation to wake up to the fact that we are accepted, God, that we are created in love, we are held in love, and we are being restored in love. Probably the most well-known section of this story is when the younger son does return. In verse 20, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. If something like this actually happened in the first century, where a son asked his father for the estate and squandered it and then came back, the the expectation of the culture of the village where they lived would be that the, the father would, at the very least, make his son wait outside and wait. Uh, More likely, everyone would expect the father to disown his son for squandering the inheritance. This father, however, has been waiting and watching for his son's return. And when he sees him, he runs. It was considered undignified for a man to run in this culture. A man of his station and age would always walk slowly. Uh, There was no dipsy trail race in those days. It is safe to assume he has not run in many years. He must gather up his robes, revealing his legs, which would have been embarrassing in that day. Children run, not wealthy landowners. This would have shocked the entire community, and it would have shocked the younger son. It is compassion and love that compel the father to run. His broken heart may now mend. And he knows the scorn his son will face in the village. Instead, he takes the scorn himself. The father does not wait for the prodigal son to come to him. Rather, at great cost, he goes down in, in a sense, to resurrect his son and to save him from the scorn and shame that would surely come from the community. To see his father running toward him must have blown his mind away. The costly demonstration of love, the love that was always there, but that he had rejected and had not seen clearly. So the younger son comes back and the father won't even listen to his entire speech. He just interrupts him and gives him the royal treatment and throws him a party. It's all gift. It's all grace. It's sheer love. Here's the thing. There is no sin that is a match for God's grace and love. God longs to restore us as full children while we keep insisting that we should be hired servants. Receiving grace and forgiveness requires we allow God to do the healing, the restoring, the renewing. Do we trust God to do that much? Do we want to be sons and daughters or is it more comfortable and easy to be hired servants, to earn our keep? Do we truly want the opportunity to come home to God? And what about the older son, the one who stayed? Remember now, Jesus is telling this story to a group of people who are on the outside, who are rejected by the religious uh, leaders, and to the religious leaders of the day. And verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He, he was hard at work. He stayed home and he's been working the land. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, the servant replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And safe and sound, it's not just physically safe, it is an indication of restored relationship. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Why did the father plead with him? Was it to save face or to smooth things over no it, it was a longing for restored relationship with the older son relationship has been restored with the younger and he longs for a restored relationship with his older son what will the older son do with his anger Everything left of the estate is by right his, but the father still has authority over it until he dies. And this party would have been very expensive. And so the older son was probably not too pleased with the cost of this party. For some people, grace is not only amazing, it is also infuriating. In this culture, the members of the family always greet the guests. To not do so is an insult to the guests and would have been an insult to the father as hosts. The elder son knows this and is intentionally and publicly insulting his father. The elder son's public rebellion makes his actions just as disrespectful as the younger son's but this father has already shown he does not respond to rebellion in the same way most fathers do. For the second time in the same day, the father's response is unexpected. It's incredible and it's extravagant. Once again, he demonstrates the willingness to endure shame and disgrace by extending grace in an attempt to restore relationship. It would have been an absolute shock to his guests that the father would leave the party and try to reason with his elder son. As the father has taken disgrace that the younger son rightly deserved upon himself, he does the same thing with the elder son. The father loves both of them indiscriminately. He gives of himself equally for both, irrespective of their actions. In verse 29, the elder son says to his dad, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. This father has, with great effort and even pain, gone out of his way to restore, to find, to save relationship and the elder son is unwilling to meet him there. The elder son chooses to break relationship, accuses his father of favoritism, reveals his unwillingness to forgive, complains about his brother's spending, says I've been slaving, sees himself as a victim and more as a servant to his dad frankly than a son he doesn't realize that the party is more for the father to celebrate than it is about the son. And he is holding resentment. Resentment will eat us up. Resentment towards others for what we feel they have done. Resentment toward others for not appreciating us enough. Resentment for doing as much as we do without a recognition or thanks, resentment toward others for not doing as much as we do. It goes on and on and it wreaks havoc on our souls. The elder brother humiliates his father and the father allows himself to be humiliated for the sake of relationship. And he responds with astounding tenderness. Hafez tells us that complaint is only possible while living in the suburbs of God. Or perhaps said differently, complaint is only possible when we are standing outside the party, refusing to go in. Every time we complain, every time we feel like we've been cheated, every time we feel life isn't fair, every time we play the victim, God is there, filled with love, filled with grace and tenderness, to meet us in that place and urge us to join the party. One of his reasons for not going in is that he has always obeyed. He is rejecting the love of the Father because of his own self righteous obedience. In other words, he believes he is more righteous than the Father. We break relationship with God by running away and by staying, but arrogantly standing outside. We often live with this belief that if we live right, God owes us. God owes us answered prayers in the way we want or a good life and a ticket to heaven. The elder son rejects the relationship of love offered because he feels like he got a raw deal and his brother got grace undeserved. He doesn't need a savior who pardons by free grace for he is his own savior. It is wealth, not the love of the father that both sons thought would make them happy. The younger son comes to his senses Will the older son come to his senses? Verse 31 says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, Robert Farrar Capen, uh who was an Episcopal priest, he passed away a number of years ago, he wrote about this parable and uh, imagined the father saying something like this. Your brother finally died to all that reckless living, and now he's alive again. Whereas you, unfortunately, were hardly alive even the first time around. Look, we're all dead here, and we're having a terrific time. We're all lost here and we feel right at home. You on the other hand are alive and miserable. And worse yet, you're standing out here in the yard as if you were some kind of beggar. Why can't you see? You own the place. And the only reason you're not enjoying it is because you refuse to be dead to your own dumb rules about how it should be enjoyed. So do yourself and everyone else a favor drop dead to your way forget about your life go inside and pour yourself a drink you see grace operates only by raising the dead those who think they can make their lives the basis of their acceptance by god need not apply the father says everything i have is yours. There is nothing we have to do to earn it. If we miss grace, we miss the point. Grace is what happens when you realize that everything is sheer gift. There is nothing else to do but accept and enjoy the gift. All you can do is accept that you are already accepted taking grace seriously awakens us to the fact that god loves us now has always loved us and will always love us no matter what when we come each week to the table and we recognize the people jesus keeps table fellowship with that the table is open, that that the party, the invitation to the party is for everyone. And and we take this bread and this cup. We remember that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could experience new life, restored relationship, resurrection life. Uh, Jesus gave of himself for the sake of the world. eucharist it means good gift the gift of jesus giving his life for us the bread and the cup are a reminder that it's all gift you can't repay it who does jesus keep table fellowship with with the outsiders with those who the religious leaders said didn't belong jesus parties with and keeps table fellowship with those who know They can't repay grace. The art of generosity is beautiful. It is an entirely different kind of art to receive a gift that can't be repaid. For those of us who have received so much that we realize there is no way we can repay it. When it comes to God's economy of grace, there is no, I did this for you, now you do this for me. Jesus himself not only gave his life, but he had to receive. He lived off the generosity of others. He didn't feel like he owed them something in return. And he says the same to us. You don't owe me anything in return. It's sheer gift that you can't repay. As we take this bread and eat of it, And as we drink from the cup, a symbol of Christ's blood, let us remember the good gift of the body and blood of Christ who gave up his life so that we could find life. We were dead, and now we're alive. We are all invited to the table. We are all invited to the party. All we have to do is accept the invitation, step in the door, and raise the glass the body and blood of Christ was given for you. God, thank you for your extravagant love. Thank you for the gift of the body and blood of Christ. Thank you that you are a God whose door is always open, whose invitation to the party is always there. May we be a people who return home, who rest in your love, and who thoroughly enjoy the party that you are throwing. In the name of Jesus, amen.